Akron, Ohio. Oh, nice. So we just got out of a uh, Dylan concert. Yeah. It went a little longer than we anticipated. Uh, I can't imagine he's singing real fast these days. Dude's got to be 105 <laughs> years old. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was good. It was good. It's the we've we've been to a, a couple of them now. Kayla is trying to catch up, but she never will because he was singing long before she was conceived. Yeah, dude's been around for a minute. That's for sure. Yeah. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Which isn't to say that necessarily he's lost his edge. I don't, I'm not a huge Bob Dylan fan myself, so I can't say one way or the other. <laughs> I know a lot of his music. There's one song called One More Cup of Coffee that's actually probably top 50 of my favorite songs of all time. It just happens to be one of his. But uh, yeah, never seen him live. I did see his son live. Yes. Um, the Wallflowers in yes. like, no joke, 1997. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were, I think, on the radio a lot when we were freshmen. Yeah, you know, college. they they did not benefit from the, like, Dave Matthews Band boost, which is really, let's be clear, Dave Matthews Band has, what, like, nine albums? They're all the same song. It's just the same song <laughs> stretched out over an album, copied nine times. But Dave Matthews Band got so much play on the radio that they were able to just keep making stuff, whereas the Wallflowers, not flash in the pan, they had four or five good songs, but you didn't hear them constantly like you did DMB back in the late 90s. Yeah. Did he, didn't he? he try to do his own stuff, too, for there for a minute? Like, without the wallflowers, he was just wall or flower. <laughs> What's his name? Is it Jacob Dylan? J- yes. So, I mean, this has always been one of my criticisms of that guy is that he said, well, I don't want to be... I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to dine out on my dad's name. Well, your dad changed his name to Dylan, so you could have not gone with his assumed name. <laughs> just saying. Right. He named himself, Bob Dylan named himself after Dylan Thomas, the poet. So I, yeah. Regardless. <laughs> trying to figure out a way to loop that back into restaurant stuff, and I really can't, except for when, like, you hear of someone, you know, having a wildly successful restaurant, and it's like, yeah. But you, you know, had such and such backers or your wildly successful restaurant was part of a restaurant group where you just came in as the chef. It's like you didn't do that. Yeah. It would be like uh, Alinea starting in a restaurant being Alinea 2. Right. And be like, we're not trying to cash in on the Alinea name. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. right. you called yourself Alinea 2. Yeah. And, and not the number 2. It was T-O-O. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out a way to make an actually clever sequel to Duolinea. <laughs> also Linea. What what does a linea mean? I, I'm sure it's a made up thing. Okay. Cause that, cause you we we could make up pluralize it then. <laughs> right. A, a linei? Mm. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's the best one. We should stick with that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. And I'm oh, Stephen man. Cadwell. I forgot to say my name there because I was choking on tea. Excuse me. Let's try that again. So, Steve, before I say anything else, let me just tell you I'm drinking a lovely uh, ginger turmeric tea right now. Ooh, are you I, sick? I hope I'm not getting sick. So let's try oh, that no. again. I'm going to leave all this in, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. Steve, my body, I don't know if you do this or if other people do this. Let me let, let me throw this out to the to the group. Chefs, line cooks, dishwashers, whoever's listening. I have this thing that happens to me where I will start to feel a little bit sick while I'm at work, right? Not like every day. It's not like working makes me sick. <laughs> but like, let's say I'm at work and I start to feel a little bit sick. I don't have time for that crap, right? And so I just kind of, my brain just kind of tells my body like, no, 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 no. We don't have time for this right now. And then I go home, I take a shower, I have something to eat, and all of a sudden my body's like, oh, sweet, we have time. And then I get sick, but I get, like, all of the sick that would have happened over three days in, like, an hour, right? So I kind of save it up. I don't know if that happens to other people or if I have some sort of, like, awful, unhelpful mutant power. Right. I I was wondering about, because we just got off the cruise ship this morning, and... um. Kayla's a little under the weather. I was just a touch under weather getting on, but I I thought maybe it was seasonal allergies. I wasn't too worried. Now I don't know whether it was that or whether it's been like a just a sinus thing. Ah. But I never felt bad other than, you know, my, my sinuses. Um, so Kay, Kayla's got something now, but we so many people on the ship were coughing and sneezing. Um, That's no good. And I was wondering... We did a we did just a tour that would talk, just talked about some of the concepts that they use in designing some of the rooms and stuff. But I just wondered how do these people stay healthy on here? <laughs> uh, because you know, with all those people, I I don't know. Well, and for those of you who are not aware, if this is your first episode, welcome. Um, I am the food service director for an all scratch kitchen here in Chicago that provides food service for a uh, private school, and. Let me tell you, it's the end of October. It's the time when the weather changes in a hurry in Chicago, when everybody is like outside in shorts because it's nice. And then it starts to rain and then it turns like it drops 40 degrees and whatever. People get sick. And you know who really gets sick? Kids, especially yes. kids that are being held together in pens like right. herded animals. Right. So this is the time of year that we all start to like one of our. Vendors is staples, right? Because I just need to get office supplies. And I can get other stuff from them like uh, the wipes you use to sanitize your thermometers and just other – I can get coffee from them, stuff like that. I generally lay in a stash of emergency, these like Gatorade dry packet looking things you chuck into some water because my staff and I just need to stay healthy. What staff I have, you know. So uh, it's – we're in that season right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You bugged your eyes out and with good reason. Uh, out sick or have you lost more than just the one so i've lost just the one nobody's been out sick yet we um have human issues like anybody else does like one of my staff members lost her phone right so she lost her phone then she wasn't feeling terribly well and she had her son drive her home and 
he dropped her off in front of her house and then he parked her truck and he, you know, went to his house. And she thought, oh, in the morning I'll just call him and find out where my truck is. She had to wander around her neighborhood on foot at like 5.30 in the morning for like mm-hmm. a half an hour trying to find her truck because, of course, she couldn't call him because she didn't have her phone. Things like this happen and we're already understaffed one person. So, you know, it's – we're not stressed – any more than we would be stressed just via the job itself. But ha- missing that one person, we've talked about this in the past, missing that one person just sort of amplifies all that for everybody. Yeah, yeah. But no, luckily nobody's been sick, nobody's been injured, that sort of thing. That's good, good. I have a new person starting on Monday. Oh, Which happened right. very fast. I received an application on a Thursday. I called uh, to do a I, – I emailed Monday morning. Just because Thursday, Friday turned into a nightmare and then I forgot. Uh, Monday morning, I emailed. We did a phone interview Monday. This person's very aggressive, very excited. And uh, came in and did an in-person interview on Tuesday. Got the uh, background check back in two days. Clear, wow. Cleared to be hired. So starting on Monday, I've got uniforms ordered, all of the new hire paperwork printed out. And one of the things we've talked about this on this show, one of the things that I'm doing is that I'm trying to involve all of my staff in the hiring process. So brought this person in for an interview, brought them in intentionally like in the dead center of lunch service. This person got to see not the madness. I don't want to overplay it. Like we're serving lunch food to about 600 people ranging in age from four to about 75. So it's not it's not mad chaotic like what you would get at a restaurant, but there is an energy to it. There is like an intention, and it's it it gets kind of wild sometimes, depending. Uh, so this person got to see all of that and got to meet and spend a little bit of time with the staff, and then the staff and I, after this person left, talked, and uh, we we all had roughly the same uh, apprehension of this person, which is seems great. What when can they start? You know so. Nice. At the very least, like what we were talking about previously with bringing back the person who didn't work out, I do have buy-in from my entire staff on this. Yeah, which is good because then you don't get blamed entirely. Uh, Correct. If things go sideways. Yeah, but all that is to say, why don't we talk about your crews? Because this like hiring and firing stuff is boring, although I did just remind myself that I need to do some, some one other thing. But <laughs> tell me about the... Uh, tell me about the crews, which I had either not known about or you told me and I totally forgot. Yeah, I don't. I I don't remember either whether I I mentioned it or not. But yeah, we it was a short one. It just up to St. John's, New Brunswick, and then back down to New York City. So we left from the Manhattan cruise terminal, um, which the first time we've ever done that. So that was uh, interesting. It real actually super easy and super easy to leave this morning. Uh, I hear Brunswick. All I can think of is the uh, bowling ball manufacturing company. <laughs> uh, Yes, and hopefully you are hearing New Brunswick and not Nude Brunswick because I don't want you to be imagining naked bowlers. Um, yeah, it's it might be the capital of New Brunswick, um, and uh, it was cute. It was it was a nice little, uh, you know, it's got a little more age, but you know, like an East Coast U.S. city, not like a European city age wise. Um, we just walked around a little bit. We did get okay, so that was the first real culinary new culinary experience we had, which was, uh, we had, I sent you a picture of it. It was maple pecan Bianca pizza. Yeah. It sounded awesome. It was, I was actually kind of surprised. It had a maple drizzle, no, no pizza sauce, but, uh, it was, it was definitely a savory pizza. Um, so it was, had pecans, bacon, 
the drizzle. Um, and I, I'm, oh, mine had uh, goat cheese maybe, and maybe Ooh. it was feta. Um, or And then it may have been just the one cheese, but it was uh, Pompadoro or something like that was the name of the place. But Kayla had found it before we went up there, so that was just our lunch for the day, and she had hers without the cheese, and she we ate the whole thing between the two of us. You have two distinct cheeses on this pizza. Okay, yes, I thought I, there were two of them. It, it And it does look like one is more of a melty, fresh goat cheese, and the other one is more of a crumbly, like a feta, something like that. Okay. So, this, I mean, it's interesting that I hadn't really thought about this in these terms before, <laughs> but maple, bacon, and pecans, those are all those ingredients that kind of walk between worlds right like you can put you can do savory or sweet with all three of those things and so that's kind of neat to not like use them to bridge a gap or to introduce a traditionally sweet one to a savory application or something like that, but to just use all three of them together you know yeah the only thing i can think of that would also work in there would be dates dates would have been good in there too but i don't feel like that would have been missing anything with those not being there yeah I, I I feel like Caleb missed out a little bit without the cheese because it did bring something to the table with yeah. the especially with the the drizzle, but it wasn't overloaded with maple by any means. It was really pleasant and it was really it was really good pizza. I think there um, St. John's is currently going through what many many port towns go through, which is whether deciding whether or not they like having cruise ships. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I think the powers that be have decided that yes, they do because they're working on the cruise terminal a little bit, and it, a lot of it seems new and uh, um, well done. And there's sure. a, there's like a little container village, which a bunch of stores in storage containers that you walk through huh. as you leave the little. Uh, the port building, but the lady that was working the pizza place um, was uh, straining the credulity of the idea that every Canadian is polite and happy. Ah. <laughs> um, she was not rude, but you know it wasn't. Uh, we weren't welcomed with open arms into the place, even though we may have been the first people to order pizza that day. Speaking of Canadians, are you aware that Brent Butt, star writer, uh, creator of Corner Gas? <laughs> as you're wearing your Dog River uh, sweatshirt, wrote a book recently. No. So he wrote a book, which I believe is about stand-up comedy, but it's like a comedy horror novel called Huge. And I have it on order right now from a local bookstore in my area because I'm kind of a bougie, white, you know, middle America liberal, whatever. Uh, as opposed to just going to Amazon and buying it, I'm happily and like self-righteously waiting for the <laughs> local bookstore to have this book in for me. Um, and I'll report back. It's got nothing to do with food at all. It's just the ongoing love of Brent Butt that we have on this show. Uh, but I'll report back after I receive it and have read it. I've heard nothing nice. but good things. However, I've only heard anything about this book from this fella himself via his socials. So, Okay, so I know I've said th- similar things to this often, but this time I'm I'm for real and... It'll have to be probably – it probably will have to wait till summer your summer break. But legitimately, you and I need to write a cozy mystery um, and self-publish on Amazon and, you know, do that. But uh, – so we can figure out logistically how sure, we sure. do that. But are you familiar with the genre? I am not. I was just about to ask you to tell me what the heck that is. Uh, so it, it's, it, it's basically – cozy mystery is uh, – takes place in one place. Cabot Cove. Yes, very much like a murder <laughs> she wrote. Exactly, that that is the sort of the the, the paradigm. Um, 
and you sometimes there's like a uh, um, an animal like a pet or something that that is crucial to uh, and maybe it actually talks I don't know but they have um, all kinds of uh, if you look up cozy mysteries on Amazon there's oodles of them that are self published some people have followings okay and and a lot of them will also have to do with food they they reviewed one or they went through one on 372 pages. Uh, that was Christmas uh, murder in uh, Christmas something or other, um, and then the 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 lady there that's I guess in most of those cozy mysteries runs a pie shop, so a ah. lot of them are food centric as well. So it will be like pie and murder, <laughs> uh, fudge brownies and murder, sure, sure, and always things like that. But but um, there you know. So my thought was, well, you know why why not have this be you know instead of just food or whatever and murder and have it be just am- amateur person. Like why not have it be like a cozy, you know, like the Island that you had to go to, like if that were the setting, oh. huh. you know, or, or a place that's like, and, and then the kitchen staff are the ones that have to figure out what happened or whatever. Um, uh, you know, so, so many things going through my head right now. One of which is, instead of Cabot Cove, could we just name it after a different kind of cheese manufacturer and have it be like Tillamook <laughs> Grove, right? Something like that. So that was my first yes. joke. Um, then the next thing I was thinking of was Cozy Mystery. My favorite peanut butter in the world is made by a company near Grand Rapids, Michigan called Cozy. It's K-O-E-Z-E. So then I was like, how do we make a peanut butter murder mystery? And that would be easy because that's just allergy stuff which we'll end up talking about in this episode anyway um but no the idea of like going all the way back to jason right where it's a group of of kids who are at camp and things go wrong they're isolated whatever but it's not so much the staff right so if it is a private uh club on an island not unlike the one that i worked at and something horrible happens after the season is over but the staff is still there and the story is about the staff i feel like that would be fairly unique because yeah because they would these are not people that you would normally uh, sympathize with right as opposed to being the tourist in the place being the staff in the place yeah i mean it might turn more agatha christie than than cozy mystery right. but uh i'm sure that some of agatha's uh um and then there were none might be a cozy mystery of sorts. Now, I don't but, um, read a lot of murder mysteries. I read a lot of Star Wars books, um, which <laughs> is fine. Um, there are a lot of them, so I'm, I'm very unlikely to run out. And they keep writing more. This is the sort of like Bob Dylan with, your wife, I'm never going to catch up, right? Uh, but I guess I could start reading murder mysteries and figure out what that genre, like what the tropes are and how the pacing goes and stuff like that. Yeah, well, and I think cozies are even, I mean, it's not the same as just a murder mystery. Um, because there's a lot of tropes that are specifically for cozies. So now should I go to like an airport bookstore? Is that what I'm looking for? And just like find something where the cover is like clearly a very small fishing village house looking over a sunset on the ocean. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, yes. And well, if you're in a bookstore, if you ask where the cozy mysteries are, they probably have a section. (laughs) Well, I need to feel ashamed when I ask. (laughs) Uh, it, I guess it depends on how you ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, or just follow the old ladies. Oh, maybe. nice. Yeah. That, you know, and then see if they're not going to like quilting or whatever. But there's a quilters series of cozy <laughs> mysteries. 
So years ago, I forget somebody who listens to this show recommended to me a whole bunch of murder mysteries that were exactly what you were just saying. They were like cappuccino and dismemberment, right? But it was always like food and and then some form of death. And yeah, they were probably cozies. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look into any of them. I just thought, I like, I, I scrambled through a whole bunch of the titles, and I just thought, these are hilarious. And oh, with yeah. a little bit of tweaking, the titles could have been better. Yes. Uh, well, it's often because, you know, people. Uh, uh, so many of them are self-published. Yeah. That they don't have the benefit of an editor or someone helping them through some of that process. So, so now some of them are real slick because they have just oodles and oodles of them out there but some of them are a little less less so i'll send you some pictures after we're done because i don't want to actually turn off my recording <laughs> but um uh when we were at the book barn we looked through the cozies and i took some pictures of some of the titles because the, they were so funny we live eight minutes away from a half price books so i will simply go i may even go tomorrow and after i've combed through all of the star wars books to figure out which ones i already have I will see if they have, or I'll ask somebody to direct me to the Cozy Mysteries. Are they quick reads? Are these, like, short, fairly short books? Uh, yeah, they're not terribly long, and uh, I think they'd be a quick read, even if they were, because I don't, like, I don't. I think most of the authors aren't using big words. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, so, yeah. But it, it's also, um, some of it is very... Um, uh, they managed to capture a bit of like some of the towns I grew up in very well ah. on on accident, if not on purpose. It's like, oh yeah, that's hysterical, but also I know those people. Yeah. So well, and again, going all the way back to Brent, but that was the beauty for me of Corner Gas was not any of the. I mean, obviously the writing was great, the acting was you know B plus to A work across the board. Like there was not there was not a weak link in the thing. They weren't all classically trained Shakespearean actors, you know, but there was nobody where they came on screen and you're like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> nobody. Uh, but what it was is they had gone somehow beyond archetypes into very specific things that made those characters characters universal, right? Like their cop guy, I was like, that's my Uncle Bill, right? <laughs> like to, to that, that level of specificity. And uh, that, I, I don't know how they did it. I don't know what that magic was. But you're right. I did not grow up in a plains town in Canada, but I yeah. know everybody in that town. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, that's what it's like. Well, cool. So, uh what else uh did you discover on your on your cruise? The other thing that was uh at least apropos for for us for this was we did the dessert thing again in Remy. Okay. Um and I think we did the same thing a few – it's been a few years ago now and I think we talked about it. Uh, but the first few were different. The The executive chef is a different guy than was there before. Some of the jokes were the same. But I did uh, – I always think of you in situations like that <laughs> because I feel like where whereas this guy, he did he did fine. Um, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm sure this this part of the job isn't necessarily what he signed up for. And that's something where I feel like you you do great doing the interaction stuff. Yeah. Um, as well as the, the, the stuff uh, back of house. So if you were required to give a little stories about everything. Um, and this, the stories were interesting. It was, the first one was a creme brulee. And it was, it was like uh, 
half dollar, maybe a little bit bigger than a half dollar size. Okay. Um, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had one, you know, that's this big, uh, you know, the the size of a, I don't know, what is that? Uh, like a five-inch ramekin? Yeah. Um, in the dining room, like the next day. Uh, or maybe it was even the same day, and it was like, oh, this just pales in comparison uh-huh. to what we had this morning because yeah. the, it was just so good. Um, but what was I going to ask? So it was the simultaneous serving. So, you know, um, there were two of us, so two servers came over, and they put the things down at the same time. Nice. And so it was that that was going on. Um, we did not do the the wine pairing. Um, but the so it was the first one was the creme brulee, and he told us how creme brulee – uh, came about. Do you know the story? Not off the top of my head. I'm sure at some point I've known it. He gave dates and names, which I have for already forgotten. But the basic gist of it was, he says it was by accident, uh, this guy um, had uh, invented or he his, his innovation was really a warm custard. Okay. And he was being served one day, and he was one of the people he they uh, the guy said he had to taste everything, hmm. and he tastes this one. He's like, "Oh no, it's cold!" So to try to warm it back up, he grabbed uh he'd got an iron, hmm. um or, or no, it was the sh- it was the coal shovel that's always really hot. Yeah. he said in the oven, and he put that on top in order to try to warm the custard back up because it's supposed to be served warm. And then when he took it off, it had caramelized the top of the thing, sure. and he. And he tried it. He was like, oh, this is really good. And then he fiddled, fiddled with it some more and ended up putting brown sugar on the top and making a, an iron that would fit exactly on the top of the thing mm-hmm. the way he wanted. And thus, creme brulee was born. And uh, and he was the, – the executive chef was like – and it's pretty pretty much perfect the way it is. The only thing that we've done differently is we've added a shell um, ah, okay. to the bottom. So that was that. And then uh, – um, that was the first one. And the second one was a raspberry, um, uh, macaron. Nice. No, no. Is that right? Is it the, the little sandwich cookie thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he also t- told that story how it's, his, it sounds French, but it's not really French. It's kind of French. <laughs> um, and it was someone, uh, an Italian, somebody married a French king or Duke or something. And she brought all her chefs with her. And they're the ones that eventually created the macaron. So that was Italian, but created in France. So I don't know. Anyway, that was really good. That's one of those things that I've not only never made, I've never attempted. It, yeah. uh, talk about fiddly. That's a, uh, there's like a hundred different ways that can go wrong. And you won't know until you're pulling them out of the oven. And in some cases, actually, that's one of the ones you won't know until it's cooled down. Like, that's a long way to go and a long time to wait to find out, oh, I fucked this up. Yeah. Um, the best part of it, I mean, I, I'm, I love raspberries and they, uh, so it was the raspberry, um, macaron, and then they had cold pressed raspberry juice <laughs> that they poured next to it. But I would, I could have just, I mean, it was pretty tart, but it was delicious. That, um, so that's right up there with when people are like slapping gluten-free onto, uh, kosher salt or whatever, nobody hot presses raspberries for juice man like yeah. that's that's what you do <laughs> yeah come on i know i wondered that i was like what's the what's the alternative I, there really is not one unless unless what they were trying to do is they were trying to differentiate between that and like a cooked coulis or a preserve or something like that but even then saying cold pressed 
implies that there's hot pressing going on somewhere yeah. of raspberries. And to preserve flavor is what he, to preserve the flavor, I think, is what he threw in there, too. So Yeah, okay. Uh, um, and then the next one was like a vanilla cream thing, I think. And then, uh, oh, no, it was a um, Paris, a Paris Peri, breast. Perry Bray, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, hot, great. How did you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that was that. And I, I don't know if I've ever had hazelnut and almond together like that. Oh, okay. Um, which, which was the – and I was like, oh, those go really well together. Um, and then it was the vanilla thing and then it was – I think the chocolate thing that was created by one of the two chefs that, that work for Disney Cruise Line – um, it was the one over in Europe, we think is French, and it, it's like a, it looks kind of like a giant chocolate potato chip, um, <laughs> but it's like a chocolate, it's three different, and then it's got a chocolate mousse in between them, and then a chocolate sauce, and uh, it's really crunchy and, and um, chocolatey, but all together, it, it's really, uh, um, it's really nice if you like, I mean, it's very chocolatey, but. Somebody, I want to say it was Ruffles, is that Lay's? Yeah, uh, yes, I believe this, Lay's owns them. This is pre-pandemic. Put out a chocolate-covered potato chip, but they were ha- they must have had some production difficulties of some sort because they must have been afraid about transport. Because you get it anything warmer than room temperature, anything at all, and yeah. it's all going to melt together and become a lump. So each of the bags was fairly decently sized, and it had like nine in it. And they had plenty of room to bounce around in there. Don't get me wrong, they were delicious. And I've, all, I've been tempted recently to make them myself, because why not? Right. But the bag was also like $33. And they <laughs> stopped production like right away. I'm sure they were having weight. Like there's no way you could have those in Texas. Each one of those bags would be destroyed. Like it would be a sticky mess on the inside. Yeah. Uh, or you'd have to tell all the grocery stores in the world, you need to keep this like right next to the broccoli, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the one bag that I was able to get, really good, like really impressively good. Um, uh, speaking of this, the the chocolate, not the chocolate thing, but it was the the last thing, which was the same as before too, which looks like a lemon, but isn't. It's ah. a, um, sculpted. Uh, he, they they take lemon and lime zest or uh, skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appeal, and they blanch it. He said five times to remove the bitterness. Huh, they okay. make they make a mousse or something out of that, or I mean, it's more of a gel. I don't know. And that goes in the very middle, and then there's a mousse that goes around it, and then it's covered in white chocolate. And then they do like three different things to the white chocolate to make it look like lemon skin or lemon peel. Mm. So they uh, they spray some on there, but then he says it's really silky, but that doesn't look like a lemon. So I, at the very end, I guess they blowtorch it. Um, and that makes it look like uh, lemon peel, uh, and it's really tart, but it's really good. Um, but the uh, going back to the there was one that had um, was basically vanilla cream on puff pastry, I think. Sure. Um, that's the laminated dough, right? Yeah. Okay, so this was the thing, and this is where I'm like, okay, how much of this is theater, and how much of this is legit? Uh, they he said you know they that would normally be a butter worked into dough mm-hmm. uh, however many times uh, you know and then it, and you work however much butter into into the dough he said but i tell them to do it backwards so they have to work the dough into the butter and 
um, they, they doing it in the fridge, obviously, because he says, you know, and especially when you're in uh, the uh, Caribbean, it doesn't, you know, doesn't behave very well if you try to do it. But he said it makes it, uh, um, uh, I don't know, I forget exactly what he said. Uh, what what doing it that way does to the dough instead of doing it the other way. And my thought, my question was, does it matter? So I've never seen that method work. So what you're talking about, lamination is, it's a, it's a straight dough, right? And you roll it out into a rectangle and you take a third of the amount of the dough. So you, whatever, like the, say the dough is 100 grams. Then you would take 33 grams of butter, put that in the middle and fold the dough over it and roll it out. So that you have the rectangle going like uh, perpendicular to you. So when you roll it out, it's it's parallel to you across the table, right? And then you would fold that again. You, so you roll that into a rectangle and you fold that again. And you basically just fold it and fold it and you have, you're sandwiching all those layers of butter. The idea of doing that the other way where you've got butter on the table and you put dough in there and you fold the butter over it somehow and then start. I've never, like I understand that that's a technique. I've never seen it work. It okay. always turns into a mess. It's just a giant mess. So yeah. whatever that fellow's doing, I'm sure he's good at it, and the people who he has working for him are good at it. I've never personally seen it be a success. Yeah, okay. And, and just like you're saying, I don't think it matters because the idea is that you've got layers of dough and butter in between each other. How you get there, as long as it works, shouldn't matter. But again, I've never seen that method work, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, unless me. by by backwards, they also mean that it's like uh, two thirds butter, one third dough. Yowzer, could be. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I have know. a I have a butter pie crust recipe where the butter is a little bit heavier than the flour, so like it's it's more than fifty percent butter to flour ratio in that recipe. It's. Again, if you don't screw it up, it's a really good pie crust. If you do screw it up, the butter melts out and it is tough and gross. So yeah, yeah it's it's tricky. Everything about that's tricky. That's why I don't do a lot of laminated stuff. There's a, I made an apple pie with my daughter two weeks ago, and when I put it up on Instagram, because that's what I do, Chef Ben Randall on Instagram, um, I even put on there. I was like, this pie crust is a pain in the ass, but we nailed it this time, and it was flaky and lovely and wonderful. You know, <laughs> but this one, it's like. You you weigh out, you measure out all your stuff, but then you add the butter to the flour and your salt, and there's cream of tartar, and then water and apple cider vinegar. Um, but you save out some of the butter to then add at the very end, right before you start actually making the... Because like you, you add all of the dry, two-thirds of the butter, and then you mix that in a uh, food processor, and then you add all of the liquid and then you add the rest of the butter in at the very end and that whole back and forth thing is just kind of a pain in the butt but when it works it works it's really really good stuff yeah this this was part of that it was that and vanilla a vanilla custard maybe uh, or cream vanilla cream um it was really light it the cream was but the but that dessert was maybe the biggest because it was, was just a dessert met tasting menu is yeah. what we were doing um, but that one was the one that I was like, oh, that that feels a lot like it was a lot more than it was on the plate. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, I think it did. Ha- he, and at one point he says a little bit of butter. He's but a French little bit of butter. Oh, right, right. Um, was one of the things he said. So I've always wondered if it would be worthwhile to flavor butter to go into pie crust or to go into a laminated dough where it's like, well, 
what are we making? We're making an apple pie. Okay, we're going to make a cinnamon butter to go into our dough. Or we're making a, a beef wellington. Okay, fine. We're going to make a, a white pepper garlic butter to go into our dough. Like, I don't know if you need to go to those lengths or not, but whenever I'm making pie crust, I always feel like I'm missing an opportunity to add a f- uh, to add some sort of a flavor component to this, right? <laughs> I guess I have done that before. I have a, I have a blueberry pie recipe where you put lemon zest into the dough so that kind of counts i guess yeah classic combination right yeah yeah uh here's another random question sure about not that so that was the dessert tasting and i did think of you just because of the the guy was out explaining stuff and i just thought oh ben would be really good at this um but the other thing is uh, we're trying to i know you've probably told me this once or i saw it somewhere and i've forgotten but what's the difference between gelato and ice cream there's more dairy in ice cream than in gelato. And then there's more dairy in gelato than in sorbet. So as, okay. as you go from ice cream to sorbet, you have a, a decreasing amount of dairy. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Because it was it did seem like more um, crystally And fruity. Yeah. Um, oh, they had, I had the cookies and cream gelato. Oh, nice. Really good. There's a new gelato place in our old neighborhood. And we went there and checked it out. And it's Italian, and it's ciao, ciao, except you wouldn't really think that intonation would be that important, but my daughter calls it ciao, ciao, and I'm like, that's a kind of dog, I think. <laughs> and she confuses me every time. She's like, we should go to ciao, ciao, and I'm like, what are you trying to say to me right now? And it's she's saying the word correctly. There's just like some sort of a weird intonation thing where I cannot get what she's saying to match up with the front of that building. Which is what that yeah. says, you know? But it's just ever so slightly not how it's pronounced. And she's saying something else because of it. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> but I had their... I had their Nutella gelato, one scoop, and their coffee gelato, one scoop. That was really good. <laughs> that was super good. Nice. Yeah, I had one scoop of uh, Twix gelato, huh. which was pretty much just... It may have just been chocolate with, like, Twix pieces in it. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it was still delicious. And then uh, the 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 Oreo cookies and cream was my other scoop, and and Kayla got a coffee one, and uh, I forget. Oh, her other one was orange, chocolate orange, I nice. think. And it was like it was like that one. The the orange especially was like wow, it's so <laughs> orangey. I mean, it was very. It wasn't like hiding anywhere. It was yeah. like hi, I'm an orange. Just punch in the face. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> So yeah, the fruit aspect of that one really did sing. Right on, right on. So now, you're burying the lead a little bit here, though. Before you got to your cruise, you had a steamed cheeseburger. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten. Tell me about the steamed cheeseburger. I'm going to look at the picture again. So it was the way we were traveling. Uh, This is something that we happened upon when we were looking at uh, Gastro Obscura, right? Which is part of Atlas Obscura. Yeah. We were just kind of going through there, and it had some different things for each state. And uh, um, Kayla had found Gastro Obscura, I think, and then we were fiddling with it. And we've um, Maybe you found the cheeseburger? I don't know. Anyway, we found it. And then uh, the location is in Connecticut. And just the way that Kayla and I were driving in, I said, hey, are we going to go buy that place? Because it was getting close to lunchtime. And she's like, you know what? We are. <laughs> and so I was like, I guess we should try that, huh? And she's like, yeah, we should. So um, we stopped. And this place is like... Um, I guess there's two of them now there. One of them, though, just opened up. This one's been around since the 50s. Um, the, and they had two food trucks that were parked out front 
and so they might have more that were actually out places. Okay. And um, you walk in, and it's a counter. It's like a diner counter. And then on one side of the room and on the other side of the room, there are some booths. But maybe like four booths, five at the most, and that's it. Um, that's at the, as big as it was, and uh, people were coming in and getting stuff and leaving. And uh, um, Yeah, so it, when we were in there, I was thinking about the conversation I, that you and I had, if not the last time, the time before, just about hotel pans. Yeah. So these these were like this big. Really? Okay. Uh, and they were the same size for the cheese or the beef. Different steamers. One one was for the cheese, and then they had one that had like three doors that was for the beef. And this is – I saw this when I was in there because um, I was watching. I don't know. Maybe because of some of the recent things we've talked about in daycares, etc. Um, but I, they had a uh, – prep somewhere along the line is making balls of ground beef. Okay. We assume ground beef because <laughs> it doesn't really tell us anywhere. So – I don't know. Maybe that's why it's so delicious. Is it something else? But um, and then one of the there were three um, women working in there, and one of them was taking them and uh, smushing them into that little, I don't know what one sixteenth pan. <laughs> I don't know what that. Yeah, I, if it's smaller than a nine pan, I don't even know what to call it. Um, and then uh, um, then putting it into the thing and sure. I was watching and uh, after she was done with that I was like oh no she's the same one that's taking everything out but like a surgeon took her gloves off and threw them away and put new gloves on before going back nice. I was like, hey you guys are winning it um, and that was before we even tasted the food but they, were, they also had then so there were those little pans that slide in so three across on in the steamer sure and maybe four deep okay and then she had this I don't know if you'd call it a spatula, this utensil made to pull those pans out of that steamer huh. that was deep enough to get one from all the way from the back. So you could pull out all four at once if you wanted to, or you could just pull out one. And um, I bet you that's custom then, because like I can see in my head what you're talking about, where it's like, did it have flat sides that went up? So they, it was, yes. okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I, I, I don't think that's a common piece of equipment. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, do these do these things exist for anything else? Um, and then the cheese goes in another thing, and then it is in like I said, it was in a separate steamer. And um, she pulls it out, kind of dumps the water off the top, which would be condensation, I think, more than anything. And then with a little spatula, which I know I've seen, um, it's just a, a a smaller version of the spatula you'd use on the grill. Sure, but it would fit in that pan. Scoops the cheese out uh, after scooping out. Uh, a burger patty and then the other girl had um the bun prepped with everything on it so they just put the burger and cheese on it slap it together wrap it up and out the door yeah because in your picture uh, here i'm seeing pickled jalapenos bacon is there anything else on there there may have been yes there was it was a habanero ketchup Ooh, fancy it was the i forget which one it was i got the spicy one um and uh, even the ketchup, the first bite I took, I could. It was uh, red gold is the ketchup they use. Okay. And I think I don't know if it came or if they added the habanero to it. But the first bite, which I got, was just bun um, and maybe a little bit of bacon on the end, and ketchup. And that that I was like, oh, it's definitely like I can tell that it's ketchup and not just a sauce of some kind. Ah. But that was the only bite 
where my brain was like ketchup because I'm not a ketchup guy. But I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to order this because this sounds pretty good and we're going to see how it is. And it was the burger was absolutely delicious. Well, the um, picture there, the uh, bun doesn't look anywhere near as soggy as I expected based on the description. Yeah, and I don't. It, I think it was uh, Kayla was a little apprehensive about the bun as well, but the bun itself was also really good. And it wasn't just a regular old bun. Um, and I don't know. I have to go back and look at their website to see if it it says what kind of bun they use. That part of the but country it, is big into potato rolls. Okay, it may have been then. Um, is that what you get? What is that? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say re- reminiscent a little bit of a Kaiser, but I don't. I, I, then then I didn't think that was going to be accurate before I said it. So I don't know exactly what a Kaiser roll is for. I'm sure it is for something. In the past, whenever I've worked at places that had Kaiser rolls, it was always for a chicken sandwich. But I don't know if that's what a Kaiser roll is specifically for or not. And now that you say that, I don't even think that what I was thinking of was a Kaiser roll. Whatever <laughs> they put beef on weck on, weck? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so I kind of reminiscent maybe of that, but it, but it, yeah. So it may have just been a potato roll, but it was, it was definitely, I mean, it, everything worked great together. Um, the, the burger itself was well composed. Like I said, it was only that first bite when I didn't have everything in my mouth that, that I was like, Oh, this is definitely ketchup. After that, I was like, the heat was nice. Um, and it worked with everything else, the cheese. And the, the next time we go, if we go again or driving that way again, I'm going to get the cheese fries. Okay. Um, I got uh, Cajun fries, I think, and Kayla got home fries. And the Cajun fries, she decided, were the winner. <laughs> the home fries were good, but the Cajun fries were better. Um, and they, I was surprised at how crisp they were because of how big they were. They were almost like steak fries, not quite sure. as what like half a steak fry maybe width. But they were super crispy. Um, I still say the best French fries you can make at home are if you do what we do and every so often you just have build your own loaded baked potato night for dinner right where because again (laughs) it's it's our fault sort of but i've translated this to my kids where during our upbringing this burger king notion of your way right away happened and so we sort of glommed on to that a little bit but now people that are the age of my kids expect that they should be able to customize everything all the time right and so i'll roast like eight Idaho potatoes, and then I'll have bacon, broccoli, chives, sour cream, cheddar cheese, butter, salt, pepper, you know, like I'll have all this stuff. Sometimes I'll have chili, right? I'll have all this stuff to put on a baked potato. However, two or three of those potatoes don't get eaten, and if you let them cool down and you wedge them up and you fry them the next day, that's the best fry you can make at home because they get kind of craggy they get kind of they split a little bit they dry out a little bit and that's where you get the really crispy parts and that's just the best yes um yeah uh crispy fries can't beat them and these were these were crispy and the burger was delicious and i don't it wasn't until afterward that i was like i don't know like we we were kind of you and i were talking about the steaming process and what that does and how they're talking about you can't steam it too long or it dries it out which is counterintuitive but yeah um, it's just heat at the end of the day on right. some level. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. Interesting. I made Def- burgers for dinner tonight. Um, my daughter and I went to her school's fall fest, which was, uh, it's a fundraiser, you know, whatever. They've got things for the kids to do. There's a quote suggested donation when you walk in, whatever. But it, we were there for a long time and, uh, I didn't want to put too much effort into dinner. So 
Of course, I let her talk me into doing burgers. Which is a lot of work on my part. So I, I bought burger, I bought ground beef, and we got bacon, and I bought onions and mushrooms. And what I do, because I'm kind of a nerd about stuff like this, my flat top on my stove slants down toward this little catch pan where the oil, the extra oil goes. Except while I was cooking the bacon, that's where I put the onions and mushrooms. And then I had them cook in the grease from the bacon and then when i pulled the bacon off and started cooking the burgers i left the mushrooms and the onions there and they cooked in all the burger fat too yeah those were good so i had a, <laughs> I had a blue cheese bacon burger with uh mushrooms and onions on it tonight for dinner i'm exhausted now i've done nice. virtually nothing except i had this massive burger for dinner i'm very tired um i know they still they still make i mean i'm sure they must for other things too it, it wouldn't be the same for lobster but like uh, Firehouse Subs, um, I haven't been in a while, but I know their big thing was that they steam, they don't steam the buns, but they steam, they'll put the, whatever the meat it is and the cheese on a thing and they throw it in this thing and pump this lever and you see the steam rise up huh. and it and it heats it and melts the cheese. Um, so that was their thing. So they still make whatever that thing is that Firehouse, unless right. that was proprietary for Firehouse, which is possible, I guess. Uh what else would you need, like a steam chest for cooking wise? Clams? Is that yeah? Or that that or would that be the same thing that you do lobster in? Because those the lobster places, some of them have old cast iron craziness. Yeah, I mean, I, we have a we have a steamer combi oven at the school where I work, and we use it for everything. We steam fresh vegetables in there, but it takes like three minutes to steam, you know, twenty pounds of broccoli to go out to the hotline. We steam, yeah, like you can you can fill up a four inch hotel pan with dry pasta and water and salt and put it in that steamer, and it's gonna cook it just like you're boiling it on the stove. But you don't have to mess with it; you just leave it, which is great. So, I mean, we're we're using our steamer at the school every single day. It just depends on. What we're doing, we have a lot of control, so we can dial the temperature up or down. We can do steam heat or just heat. You know, it's a, it's a pretty cool device. Neat. Huh. Mm. I've considered doing hard-boiled eggs in there, but I have heard they'll explode, so I have not done it because I'm afraid. <laughs> they do in the microwave too, right? They definitely do explode in the microwave. That I've witnessed. I wonder why they would in the steam thing. Is it just because the heat's coming from the outside? I think oh, it's just because yeah. it's so fast. When you boil, uh, when you hard boil eggs, you know they come up to their temperature pretty slowly. But if you were to throw them into a say four hundred and fifty degree, ah, I don't know how high it can get. Actually, we usually run it at about three eighty. Still, that's well above boiling, and enough yeah. to 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 build up some pressure inside that egg. You see, this now I, I'm just imagining now like. Uh, um, not culinary school, but like cook college. And uh, it's like the frats are throwing eggs into the other frats steamers um, to cause them to explode, to give them something to clean. Put like one ostrich egg in there. It blows the door <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, that seems like a chef practical joke. Yes. For cook college. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, successful trip then. Yeah. We also got some Walter's Hot Dogs, which I'm sure we've talked about sometime. Nice. We went to their White Plains location this time around. If anyone has seen the movie The Nesting, A, I'm sorry, B, Kayla and I visited the set where uh, – or not the set. It was the house that was used as the set setting um, that was uh, – the movie was filmed right before the current owner bought it and started to rehabilitate the property. So, it's completely been uh, – 
um, restored because he's uh, an architect that does restoration. He doesn't it, it's, it hasn't been modernized. He just he uh, did what needed to be done to um, ensure that it stayed together. Sure, but but didn't modernize anything otherwise. So that was fascinating walking through there and the and we rewatched the nesting. Um, it's not a terrible movie. I think there's a good concept in there somewhere, but um, execution wise, it's uh, uh, a little rough. But you get an idea of the house anyway. I've never heard of this movie. There's no reason for you to <laughs> have heard of the movie. The only reason Kayla and I found it was because of a little thing we know as pandemic. Yeah. And uh, uh, being bored and looking for things that were streaming. So that's how we found it. They do actually have some stills of the movie in it, but we may have been the first people they've encountered that uh, um, had actually seen it. And we're talking about it. Like, do you work in film? And Kayla was like, no. <laughs> like, we thought it was a really funny question just because we knew about the nesting. And other terrible horror movies. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, so it was a it was a nice trip, and not not super culinary, but um, you know, uh, oh, uh, this is going back to potato chips. Speaking of potato chips, you sent an article, uh, and the only reason that this is the potato chip angle, it's not really a segue anymore since we have to go all the way back to potato chip, right. potato chips. But there was uh, an, a really super unfortunate thing. I'm still not exactly sure how it happened, but there was a teenager, I think, um, young guy anyway, who died doing the potato chip challenge. And that was with the uh, um, uh, Carolina Reaper yes. dust or whatever on a potato chip. Um, so I don't know if that was an allergic reaction or just too much um, hot stuff. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that either, um, but you're right. So, I mean, if you want to talk about this article, we totally can. This was sent to me by a listener named Laura, which is the, the, the broader context of this article, is that the Carolina Reaper, which I did not realize was considered the world's hottest pepper, and I also didn't realize that it was developed, right? Like, not in a lab necessarily, but it was hybridized from other peppers and, yes, and was, yes. was designed, essentially, over, I guess, decades uh, has been surpassed as the world's hottest pepper by the guy who invented the Carolina Reaper anyway, yes. right? So there's this fella, Ed Curry, who, uh, so this article in uh, Apple News, where did this come from? Washington Post, I guess. Uh, he held the world record for the hottest pepper, then his Pepper X dethroned it, right? So yeah, Ed, he- good. I was just say, of course, his name is Curry. Right, right. So Ed Curry and his his company is called Pucker Butt Pepper Company. Fine. Uh, created the Carolina <laughs> yeah. Reaper, which bagged the Guinness World Records title for spiciest chili pepper on the planet a decade ago. But he was already secretly working on one that was even hotter. So this guy is 60 years old. Uh, I wanted to get to the... Okay. On Monday, Guinness announced that Curry had topped his own record. Pepper X had officially clocked in with an average of 2.69 million Scoville heat units, far spicier than the Carolina Reapers, 1.64 million. So for context, ladies and gentlemen, this is another quote from this article. The jalapeno, which many of us gringos consider to be fairly spicy, is between 3 and 8,000. Scoville heat units. This new one, again, 2.69 million Scoville heat units. Uh, the I, I really want to read his uh, 
comment about what it tastes like. Where did that go? It's, I want to say it's way down here at the bottom. Oh, so like what you were saying. In September, a snack company pulled its own one-chip challenge product, which contains a chip encrusted with Carolina Reaper powder after a 14-year-old died in Massachusetts hours after his family said he had eaten the chip. So that's what you were originally referencing. And that's... Yes, yes. Unless it's an allergy, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how some how spicy food could make you die. I don't know yeah. about that. I don't either. And I mean, and, and I mean, I don't know. Um, what is it? Uh, um, the the saying that uh, um, something doesn't equal causation. Correlation yeah. doesn't equal causation. Is yeah. that what it is? I don't know. So it, 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 they know that he ate it and then he died. But the you know I don't know if the real the actual cause or or you know has, has come out. So whether it was just the chip or I mean there had to have been an underlying factor. I would imagine. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, super hot. So this is the the uh, developer of this thing talking about the pepper because he's currently the only person who's ever eaten an entire one, and now he's eaten two entire pepper X's. In an interview Tuesday with the Washington Post, he said the pepper's earthy flavor lasted for a split second, followed by a brutal heat that persisted for three hours, then stomach cramps that went on for four more hours. Steve, no part of that feels like a good idea to me. No. I mean, and this is this is the takeaway that I have. At least bear spray will be more effective now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe also pepper spray, but yeah, I don't know why you'd want to do that. But he also says in that that he 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 only eats them like this for publicity. Yeah. Like if he if he eats it, um, usually it's very small portions of it mixed with other things. But even that, I'm like, I don't. It doesn't sound pleasant to me at all. If I want something earthy, then I'll eat something earthy. I don't. I don't need that kind of heat. I like. I do like some hot sauces. I like. Uh, and I like some hot peppers, but I like to be able to taste the pepper. If you yeah. can't taste it, I don't know what the point is. Yeah, and that's the thing too. It's I'm on record as saying that, like for me, if something is spicy in like a curry sense, or in a um, like Middle Eastern food kind of a sense, or if it is you know a hot sauce or a mole, that kind of thing, fine. I have no problem with things being spicy, right? If it's just pain. If it's just like a dare, I'm out, you know? And the same way that, like, I'm in for a thriller. I'm in for, like, a low-grade horror movie. But if it's just, like, gore and body horror kind of stuff, nah. Not my thing. Like, I don't see the yeah. point of it. Yeah. Um, and that's, the, I mean, I on the one hand, yes, you created something that's the hottest thing. Yeah. But what i mean it's zero use culinarily right <laughs> well i i mean yeah especially if even the, the the only guy who's capable of eating them is still really only happy eating them mixed up with a whole bunch of other stuff like okay yeah like if you you, you know that it you're at four that's seven hours of hell yeah because three hours of just your mouth burning with no respite and then the four hours of really bad stomach cramps followed by who knows how long of the expulsion of the, uh, <laughs> of the pepper. And now, again, this is all personal preference, too, because this guy's made a career out of this, so more power to you, fella. That's great, you know? Good job doing that. It's just not my jam. That's not my thing. Well, I mean, doesn't, I mean it just falls on the novelty end of the spectrum, though, yeah, right? it has to. 
Because who who wants that? In, unless you're sabotaging someone else's uh, um, food right. with with the hot sauce, who, who's going to put that on a taco? I mean, some idiot will. I'm I'm not necessarily an idiot. Maybe they're very smart, <laughs> like the very smart person I knew who when we were at a friend's house that somebody got a super spicy hot sauce. I don't. Maybe it was just ghost pepper at the time. I don't know. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, that's no big deal. And like, um, took some. And I think I men- mentioned this not too long ago. And then, and then I was like, see. And then touched his eye, and uh, yeah. yeah, was no longer a happy camper. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh I mean, unless it, and then they'll make chips, and then Burger King will have a bun that has some in it, and it'll. But it's all of that is novelty, and and hey, I will do that sometimes. I will buy into some of that. I'm not saying yeah. it's. Um, you know, an, a, a great evil of our society or anything, but it's you know that's that's where that lies. It's not like you're going to have Michelin chefs being like, "Ooh, I can get this pepper out that will make people's hair catch on fire," right, right, or whatever. Because um, what do you do with it? Right, and you're absolutely correct. It is. It's just. It's like the jet fuel version of uh, a spicy pepper. Like you're not putting it in your car. Yeah, you can't. You, you're not driving that thing around. It's it's like if if I made a cheese that was um, uh, uh, I don't know what's the color of the cheese isn't purple, you know, <laughs> it, like um, okay, like the purple tomato is different because it's going to be purple, but is also um, supposed to be good for you because of the purple, yeah. right? Like e- even the purpley um, cherry tomatoes and different things, the more purple it is, the more antioxidants or whatever. Yep, more lycopene, uh, whatever. But but if it's like if it's just a craft single that's purple. That there's no purpose. Or if you were to get rid of all of the cheese out of a blue cheese and have just the blue, like it's just mold. You're like, well, okay, well that yeah. nobody's gonna eat that, and there's no way to use it. So good job, I guess. Like you, yes. you got it all the way down to just mold. Cheeseless blue cheese. <laughs> right. All of the blue, none of the cheese. Like, <laughs> like thanks, but no thanks. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Congratulations to this guy. He has topped his own thing. You know, he went from having the hottest pepper in the world to having. Both the hottest pepper and the second hottest pepper in the world. Yeah. Yay, I guess. But, I mean, that's that's sort of its own reward. Like, that's uh, – now you're done, I guess. <laughs> I'm, he, he's already got something else in the works, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I will say this. Um, he, the Carolina Reaper, great name. And I don't think Pepper X is actually the name of this. I think they're still waiting on yeah. some legal things because they didn't do all of that the first time around with, with Carolina Reaper and – um, ran the, all kinds of people have just pirated stuff, and he, and the article also mentions one group that was selling Carolina Reaper seeds, but they were just habanero seeds with maybe one Carolina Reaper yeah. thing in there. Which I think the Texas Pete guy needs to get on the <laughs> ball and sue those guys, right? Because the, uh, this guy wasn't going to. He said, you know, they kind of were like what that nobody really knows the difference or something like that was daring them to to sue, right? Um, and, and they knew that they didn't do the trademark whatever they needed to do to get everything legally theirs so that they can get royalties off of anybody using the name so i don't think pepper x is where it's going to be um unless it's named after um elon musk right uh, his his favorite letter because uh he has a lot of them x's i mean <laughs> uh so uh yeah i don't think I, i'll so i'll be curious because i think carolina reaper is legitimately a, a good name a very for cool pepper name. yeah yeah, so we'll see what they cut. Uh, pucker butt, not as good. <laughs> uh, but, but you, you know. get it, right? It's yes, very yes. direct. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's not. It's not subtle. Yeah. 
I like the pepper. I like his peppers. Not subtle. Yikes. Uh, unless he's going for, unless Pepper X is like a DMX kind of thing. Like Dogman Extreme, right? It's like Pepper Extreme. Oh, yeah, yeah. Could name it like a, an early aughts Pepsi flavor or a Mountain Dew flavor. <laughs> then I'm just waiting for Crystal Pepper X. <laughs> there you go. Man, I don't know. Like, th- that's one of the few things, because I'm, I'm fairly adventurous culinarily, right? People will be like, hey, do you want to try this thing? I'm like, heck yeah. I'm like, hey, do you want to learn how to tell your future with cheese? I'm like, heck yeah. But if somebody's like, hey, do you want to eat this pepper that's 2.69 million Scovilles? I'm like, nope, I do not want to yeah, do that. Not Thank at you. all. Thank you, I'm good. That's an experience that I can, I can imagine. I can imagine what that would be like, and I could imagine not enjoying it and then live my life with that imaginary experience. Yeah, I don't even think I want to watch videos of people eating that pepper. No. I always no. go back. You remember the squirt commercial from like 1989 of just a bald dude staring directly into the camera, eating jalapenos and sweating, cracking open a squirt and being like, ah. Yes. I feel like it would be like that, except he would be screaming and dying and like blood would be coming out of his eyes. And <laughs> yeah. He'd the, be drinking the can whole catches milk. on fire. Yeah. It just evaporates out <laughs> of his mouth. Right. Right. Yeah. I've also never seen Hot Ones, and I keep being told I'm supposed to watch it. I have also not seen it. But it's also, I mean, it's people t- being interviewed while eating progressively hotter wings, right? Yeah. And at some point they tap out or they don't. Right. Yeah. And from what I understand, like, there's no telling because you, whether or not you can stand spicy food is partially experienced, but it's also partially just how you're built. And so, like, there are certain people on there who um, just – are fine and you would look at them and you're like wait didn't you play uh scarlet witch you're just like this five foot four nothing of a human being and you're just chowing your way through all these hot spicy wings all right you know but uh, for some people it's just doesn't affect them the same way yeah well and the ed Ed, was that his name ed curry yeah he did say in the thing is like people people can't just jump into this you got to work your you know start start small and build build your tolerance, yeah. but I think you're right. Like some people, it's, it's genetic. It's not building your tolerance. The only other thing I think that this super like twice as hot as a Carolina Reaper, basically, yeah, right. Um, Pepper X gives us is either an origin story for Jaws, <laughs> like a, a bunch of these fall off a boat, the shark eats them, and now he's just angry, right, because he ate, or it's a new way to defeat Jaws. Which is you feed someone a bunch of these and then feed him that person to Jaws, thus um, giving him a seven know. seven hour tummy ache. Yeah, yeah. and uh, allowing you to be able to catch and uh, do away with. Do you think Cocaine Bear would have been more or less angry if instead <laughs> of cocaine it found a whole bunch of Pepper X's? <laughs> what if they were Pepper X's stuffed with cocaine and then? <laughs> It's the perfect storm. Sequel. Sequel time. Yeah. This is why Mother Nature turns against us. Stop <laughs> stop it with the hybrid peppers. So instead of like a jalapeno popper that's stuffed with cream cheese, this is a pepper egg stuffed with cocaine. Yes. <laughs> Being fed to bears. Yes. And then they just set, let them loose. So now this this is our cozy mystery, right? This is what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And then you should find out. Oh no! Why were why why is this campsite mutilated or whatever? It's, yeah. Well, we know why. It's a uh, it, it's a pucker butt production. Yes. Of cocaine rage, you know, spicy pepper bears. Yeah. 
Ah, uh, he's hyped up on Pepper X and Coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when we record after 10.30 at night. Local time here in Chicago, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I woke up really early this morning for zero reason. I was actually going to go like for a walk or just like get out of the house early, and I woke up and it was raining, and I was like, God damn it, I'm already awake. And uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been a long day of me doing I, – I say nothing, but I did a lot of stuff. Like I took my daughter to that fun fair thing and i made granola and i made i've been working on a bread recipe it's a buttermilk white bread but i'm trying to make it into a healthier like a wheat oat kind of a bread thing so i made a batch of that and you know it's not like i've just been laying on the ground all day but yeah it feels like it's been a very long day yeah in some ways it has yeah all right, so we do have a little bit, speaking of going back, we have a little bit of an update about, you remember the Australian folks who died because of the mushrooms? Yes, and I saw that you sent this, but I didn't get a chance to read the article, so do fill me in, please. So it's not a huge update, and it's not all that recent, but I was curious. So I was looking at, like, oh, well, what sort of, um, what sort of developments have there been? The answer to that is not many. Uh, I don't know if the... Um, wheels of australian justice just grind exceedingly slow or what but this is from all the way back in september 25th from cnn lone survivor of suspected death cap mushroom poisoning released from australian hospital right so ladies and gentlemen the short story on this is lady makes lunch for her mother and father-in-law and family friends of theirs, right? So she makes lunch for two couples. She makes a beef wellington, which traditionally has a mushroom duck cell in the preparation of it. This mushroom duck cell happens to have one of the world's most deadly mushrooms in it. Uh, three of those four people die, including both of her in-laws and the wife of the other person, right? So... Ian Wilkinson, a 68-year-old reverend, was left critically ill in late July after eating beef wellington in the rural town of, oh, Leongatha? I'm going to say that wrong. That had been cooked and served by Aaron Patterson, according to Victoria Police. So, Gail Patterson. Oh, so it was this lady's mother-in-law and then the mother-in-law's sister. Okay. The father-in-law and the, the reverend. Uh, so the mother-in-law, the father-in-law, and the mother-in-law's sister, all three of them died, like, the next day. The reverend uh, survived, and Patterson, who has not been charged, this is Aaron Patterson, the uh, daughter-in-law, has denied any wrongdoing, telling local media she had no idea the mushrooms she used in the recipe were dangerous. So... Again, this is back all the way to September. Uh, there was one line at the very end of this that I wanted to read. So she claims she bought the mushrooms from two separate stores and that she did not know that they were poisonous. I thought she was known to forage. It did sounds. I that up? It sounds like she is... Um, Pushing off responsibility. Where the heck did I see? I saw this somewhere. I forget where. But she admitted 
that she had lied to the police about the food dehydrator that you and I talked about when we first talked about this uh, case, that the police were looking into a food dehydrator that they found like hastily dumped in a, uh, a garbage dump somewhere. And she uh, apparently lied about the about owning that food dehydrator to the police initially, and she has come clean about that. I think they're just building their case. It must be. Because uh, if, if she bought those in the store, wouldn't there be other cases of this? 100%. Yeah, it would be an outbreak. Man, now I can't find it, but I know I did read that, that she had she had admitted to having lied to them about the dehydrator not being hers. Oh, that's never good. Yeah. Changing your story is never good. And it's also, like, we've said this before, and this would be a very bad plot for a cozy mystery, right? Woman has her estranged husband's parents and her aunt-in-law and her husband over for lunch. She makes a meal that she does not feed to her own children, that she does not eat, and everybody who eats it ends up in the hospital and three quarters of them die. That's really hard to be like, it's a coincidence. Yeah. And also her husband was supposed, her estranged ex-husband, whatever, was supposed to be at that lunch and he called off at the last minute. So, I mean, in a narrative sense, he was also designed to be one of the victims that was supposed yeah. to happen right i mean that's sure what it looks like and there are some i mean um uh, some circumstantial cases uh work and some don't but this uh, i mean it's very i don't know there's a lot there that if i were on that jury i'd be like oh she seems pretty guilty yeah if it was made a batch of chili for a chili contest and a bunch of people got sick and they traced the mushrooms back to the store and it turned out other people had bought that from the store and they also got sick that feels coincidental that feels like something that things like that happen but if you go to a store if you go to two different stores and somehow accidentally get death cap mushrooms those stores are killing hundreds of people and that would be the news that would be the news in australia you know, nationwide, we have 300 people who are dead because this one store got a load of death cap mushrooms and they didn't know what it was and they sent it to everybody. Well, and if you're buying mushrooms in the store, wouldn't they have already been dehydrated? Possibly. I don't I don't know what the shelf life of this particular mushroom is. And if they weren't, why would you dehydrate them before soaking them in whatever? I mean, I don't know how to make a beef wellington, so maybe dried mushrooms is the way to go. You don't want to use fresh. But So I know... Two reasons to dehydrate things. One is preservation, and two is concentration of flavor and or poison. Any Anytime you're removing water from something, you're concentrating everything else that's left. Right. So yeah. if, again, this is conjecture, I suppose, but come on. If she did buy death cap mushrooms and dehydrate them, the intent there was to concentrate the poison. There's no other reason to dehydrate them. If you're making a duck cell anyway, that's something you have to cook. So you're not going to buy fresh mushrooms, dehydrate them, and then rehydrate them later. That would be dumb. Yeah. Right. But if you're going to concentrate that flavor and then grind them into like a powder, which would be a very potent carrier for that poison. If you want to be real sure you're killing your in-laws, <laughs> that would be the way to do it with that mushroom. Ugh. Yeah. 
it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm sure there's probably already a Lifetime movie about it in Australia, but uh, um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I hope that we discover updates uh, for this as it goes. Like, Dateline, get on it. Yeah. <laughs> I want updates. The very last, just... and this is again from September 25th, and I haven't been able to find anything more uh, recent than that. Victoria Police said Monday the investigation into the deaths is ongoing. So yeah. this lady's not off the hook yet. No. And if she's changing her story, she knows she's um, not off the hook. Well, like if she's been, oh, well, like maybe I had a, maybe I had a food dehydrator. In general, getting away with murder, very difficult to do. Right? Yeah. Uh, from what I understand. I've never tried to kill anyone. So yeah. I don't know. There's a very good line in Prescription Murder, which is the play and also the first Columbo that was ever um, um, filmed. Uh, but it was a play before it was an episode. But uh, he's talking with the guy. He's like, you know, hypothetically, because um, the guy's a uh, psychologist or a psychiatrist that committed the murder. And um, they're talking about a hypothetical murderer. But anyway, Columbo says, you know, I feel bad for the guy, though, because uh, at the police, you know, this is this is our profession. We get to perfect our profession we we see hundreds of cases a year and and uh murderer has to do it perfect the first time yeah with zero practice so yep it's hard to get away with it yeah and i mean you you're not a human unless you've contemplated killing at least one other human like you just <laughs> you get no matter what if you're living in a society you've bounced off enough people where you've gotten into a Situation with a person where you're like, oh, man, this whole existence would be a lot better if that one person wasn't part of it. Uh, but it's just there's there's just no clean there's no clean way to do it. Right. So even if you've decided, like, I'm going to be slick, I'm going to give everybody food poisoning and they're going to die in a couple of days and we're going to go, oh, oopsie. No, this is way too like there are too many steps involved, you know, to yeah. to it's too intentional, like uh, unless Unless, like, her defense is going to be, whoa, Beef Wellington is kind of my thing. I'm known for it. When I do lunch parties, I make a Beef Wellington. Because even that, to me, that's a very fancy thing to do, especially to make from scratch. You know? Yeah. At home, yeah. Well, you know, I I do think we see that kind of the uh, – or two of the extremes that contemplating murder takes you to. It takes you to either making a poison Beef Wellington or hybridizing peppers <laughs> until you have the world's hottest pepper. Right. As, as a more innocuous uh, diversion than actually making the beef wellington. Right, right. Yeah, and also, like, labor-wise, beef wellington, excuse me, beef wellington's a long way to go as a murder weapon, right? Yeah. Like, there are simpler ways to kill people. That takes a long time to make. And it's another laminated dough, right? Right. Yeah. Why not a mushroom soup? way easier absolutely or or even just a mushroom pizza burgers blue cheese blue cheese burger with bacon and caramelized onions and mushrooms on it right like what i had for dinner tonight patty melt yeah i should have had a patty melt that would have been good i don't have any rye bread here (laughs) at the house but i also don't have any poison mushrooms here at the house so you know you win some you lose some (laughs) (laughs) that seems like a win-win to me (laughs) Oh, man. We should do – we haven't really talked about that, have we? Like, done a study of, of intentional, like, food murders where people have – No. Have, have 
We've done the pleasant side of food crime, which is the heists. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about, like, different foods that can make you sick and can hurt you, but we haven't done, like, a historical dive into here is how people have gone out of their way to use food to murder other people. There was that book. What was that called? Was it Great Kitchens of the Midwest? Kitchens of the Great Midwest? Was that a book you gave me? I don't know. There was, a, was, a, there, was a, there was a book about murder and, and Oh, and I did give you a murder stuff. book, yeah. yeah. That one was pretty good. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to Google for this, but it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to end up on an FBI watch list, I'm sure. Yeah. Or NSA, whoever it is who looks at citizens here. CIA, maybe? Private window, private window. <laughs> no, I think, yeah. uh, what is it? The um, CIA uh, is, is elsewhere in the world. And FBI NSA, here. NSA does internal, right? I think FBI looks at crimes that already happened. NSA taps you in case you're going to commit a crime. Yeah, so they're they're listening to us right now. Sure, sure. Even even before we put this out. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Speaking of, because now it is very late for you and and fairly late for me. I say we do one more article and then wrap this up. What do you say? All right, sounds like a plan. So. To go back to uh, Tyromancy, I have been able to find zero, like, comprehensive guides to Tyromancy. What I want is one book. I want one book that's like, here is, here are pictures of cheeses, here are things to look for. If you find these lines in this order, it means this thing. Like a, like a dream journal kind of a thing, where you can... Uh, examine your dreams right i'm looking for that i don't know that it exists i am going to try to get jennifer billock who taught that class that i went to to come onto the show and if worst case scenario i'm going to ask her to write that book so that i have some sort of a guide (laughs) right but to go back to cheese this is not that recent this is from march of this year but it was just brought to my attention you're familiar with the french appellation system steve where it's the you, you have to call it you can only call it champagne if it's from the champagne region of France you know that sort of thing yes yes so Gruyere fell into that for years you could only call a cheese Gruyere if it came from a very particular region of uh, France and uh, now that is no longer internationally recognized as of March of this this year so. Does that matter a ton to just your regular old people? No, I don't believe so. Um, I love Gruyere. It's one of my favorite cheeses, probably top 10, you know. Um, So what I worry about now is watering down of that term. I worry about bad copycats, I guess that's what I would say. So, quote from this article from from Politico. The term Gruyere is a common label for cheese on the American market and can't be reserved for a type from a specific region, a U.S. appeals court confirmed. The name Gruyere can be used to label cheeses from outside of the Gruyere region of Switzerland and France. The fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond, Virginia, ruled on Friday. Uh, Back in March. I don't know why I kept in the detail about Friday. Um, so <laughs> Gruyere can now be used to describe cheese regardless of where it was made, as long as it's made like the Swiss style cheese that's made in the Gruyere region of Switzerland and France. Now, what did they call it before? Uh, this seems like an ongoing thing. So maybe they'll appeal to the Supreme court as well. But, um, because 
you sparkling wine, pros, uh, prosecco. Right. Those are both champagnes that aren't champagnes right. because they're not from champagne, but they're the same thing, more or less, right? Right. So um, the the thing about Gruyere is that up until this ruling, you had to call whatever you were making Swiss cheese. But there's like Swiss cheese that's like sliced that just goes on sandwiches. But Gruyere is far fancier, and so I believe that the critics of the Appellation ruling the the guideline before it was overturned uh we're saying like we're not making swiss cheese that you're gonna put on a patty melt right like this is a far fancier cheese than that just let us call it gruyere and the swiss were going no you can't do that you know so now if you really want the og stuff you just have to buy swiss gruyere or french gruyere correct yeah so Quote, the decision is seen as a victory for U.S. dairy groups and other players in the American industry. U.S. Dairy Export Council President Krista Hardin called the ruling an outstanding result for manufacturers and farmers here in the United States. All it means is that people can make Gruyere in the States now and sell it domestically and you don't have to pay import taxes and stuff like that. I think it makes more sense. Well, I think it makes more sense with the wine to me anyway because... They're using the grapes from that region yeah. as well. And so it – it because wine is so regional anyway and in terms of, uh, you know, if your palate is really sophisticated, being able to tell the difference between a grape from one region and another region. Oh, right, right. Um, so it, it just for um, homogeny in terms of this year, this champagne, it makes sense to me that you'd be like, okay, if it's not from this region, don't call it champagne. Uh, because it's going to be different, even if it's only to people with really sophisticated palates. Sure. That's not the same for milk, right? Well, I was just about to bring that up. So I don't know if they have different breeds of cows that are specifically used for their milk for Gruyere cheese in Gruyere, Switzerland. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I could have looked that up, but it's very late at night for me because I'm now old and I get up very early in the morning. The <laughs> what they eat when they're milked during the day, right? If it's uh, morning or if it's evening, if it's springtime, what are, like seasonality is important. Whether or not there's like pesticides in their feed, all of this kind of stuff does th- that ends up in the product, right? The proof is in the pudding in a very literal sense, right? So yeah, the the pushback from the Swiss and the French is look. We make a thing called Gruyere, and it is well-regarded. It is considered one of the top cheeses out there. If any old American dingus can now slap the word Gruyere onto their sliced, you know, individually wrapped cheese, that's going to water down our brand. And then when somebody has a bad one from the U.S., they're not going to want to buy ours. Or if they can find a cheap one from the U.S. that's like, okay, then they're also not going to buy ours. So it all does come down to economics anyway. Um, yeah. Here's one thing that I found interesting. This is a quote from uh, Richard Lev, who is an attorney for the Swiss Consortium Interprofession du Gruyère. We believe that the actual situation in the U.S. market is different from what the Court of Appeal described, and we will vigorously pursue our efforts to protect the Gruyère AOP, which is the the Appellation uh, thing quality product certification mark in the United States. What I imagine is going to happen is that Gruyere being made in Switzerland and France, they're going to develop another, like a seal or a mark or a certification or something. So there will be American Gruyere. And there are people in this country making excellent, 
world-class cheeses. Don't get me wrong. Like, you can get really good domestically made cheese in this country. Gruyere is really good, and I think the French and Swiss are going to want to put some sort of a big fucking sign on there that says, this is the real stuff. Anything right. else you're getting could be called Gruyere, but it's not the right stuff. Yeah. And, and, and that's they're well within their rights to do that. But as far as international import-export politics kind of stuff goes, the U.S. has said, nah, we don't care that that's your word. We're going to use it anyway, which is exactly what the U.S. does with fucking everything. So I don't know why this yeah. is a surprise. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's the, it's the same issue the Pepper guy was having. Um, and you, you'd think that the it's like with McDonald's where they bought or they developed their own potato and then um, – only use that potato for their fries, so right. no one else can produce McDonald's fries because no one else has access to that potato. Yeah. And if you if you grow that potato for them, you sign all these legal papers. So if it were like a specific breed of cow, they said to be Gruyere, this is the cat, this is the animal the milk has to come from. And oh, by the way, we own them all, so you can't right, have right. any. Um, then uh, I would think you couldn't be like, well, that's the recipe for Gruyere, so you can't you know use goat milk and call it Gruyere. It wouldn't be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, because, you know, the rules and regulations about cheese making in the States are a little different than they are everywhere else. That just happens, right? And I wonder who is making cheese that is the closest to Gruyere here. And I don't know the answer to that, right? And it makes me wonder. I'm going to a farmer's market tomorrow morning uh, with my daughter, because that's one of our Sunday things, as long as farmer's markets continue here in Chicago. Not like they're in danger, but it's going to get cold out pretty soon. So (laughs) (laughs) we're coming to the end of the season. If there's a cheese stand, I may, if I remember, go up there and just be like, hey, do you what do you have that's like Gruyere? And if they're like, oh, I have Gruyere, I'd be like, "Eh, but what do you have that's like Gruyere? (laughs) Because I am (laughs) curious. I love cheese a ton. Like I really do enjoy cheese quite a bit, but I should probably pay better attention to what I'm eating because I will get this thought in my head and be like, oh, I had this cheese like two years ago. It was really good. I have no idea what it is because I'm just not paying that much attention, you know? You need a cheese diary. I need a cheese diary in the back of my Tyromancy book, you know? But when I was at Fancy Hotel downtown here in Chicago, when I was working in the Garmage department, one of the things that we did was we would make these amenity plates that went up to the room. So, like, you would check into your room. You're a fancy pants guy. And there would already be, like, this little plate for you that would have, like, a perfect little pear on it and, like, a little jam or something and some crackers and two or three different kinds of cheese. And, man, I should have been paying attention to what those things were because we rotated those cheeses constantly. And I must have seen in the year and something that I worked there 200 different cheeses. And they were all so good every time. I should have been paying attention better at that point. But I was not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did have uh, a couple of really good cheeses on the ship. One of them was a, uh, it was a mixture of milk from cows and goats and maybe something else. What Gorillas. would it have been? Sheep? Oh, sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Gorillas. And then it had truffle something uh, mixed in and you, like you could still see the speck. So it could uh-huh. have just been little bits of it. And I forget what it was called, but it was very good. I just love cheese. It's uh, like every time I think of, Oh, I wonder if you could do this with cheese. You totally can. Like, no matter what it is. So, that, like, you as you were talking, like, I've seen where people will take a whole wheel of brie, cut it in half sideways, open it up, scoop out all of the 
like the gooier part of the brie and mix it with something. Mix it with pesto, mix it with truffle, mix it with sun-dried tomatoes, whatever. Put it back in like they're making uh, deviled eggs and then smash it back together. And then when you slice it, you essentially have two different cheeses in there. You've got the cheese that's still on the rind and you have the mixture on the inside. Brilliant. That's fantastic, you know. Or uh, where folks will take like a camembert, like a smaller wheel of camembert, put a bunch of dried fruit or jam or whatever on it, wrap it in puff pastry and bake it. Like that's a whole new thing now. Love that. You know, what what's the holiday instead of gingerbread houses where we can just make cheese houses? It still has to be a winter thing because you want to be inside to make cheese houses. Maybe just solstice then. Yeah. Us, can we get that going for solstice? Saltinstice. <laughs> it's got to have a cracker component to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not Hanukkah cracker. That's different. What other holidays are there? <laughs> New Year's cheese. Oh, New Year's <laughs> cheese. I love it. I love it. There we go. I mean, I would yes. love that. Like, I, again, I don't drink anymore. So, yeah, hit me up with a New Year's Eve party where it's just like, oh, welcome to my house. I have 100 cheeses. And I'm like, I'm never leaving. All right. New Year's cheese. Yeah, let's get it going. This year, start making plans for your New Year's cheese right now. I'm in. I'm ready Everybody. To you know what would be cool? This would take a lot of planning, and you'd have to have a really solid friend group or family that you like. You do New Year's cheese, right? Except one of the things you do is you make a cheese during the party that is going to be aged and tended by somebody. So that at the next New Year's cheese party, that's one of them, is the one that you as a group made. That somebody has been cellaring or, or has a cave for the cheese to live in or whatever. And so every year you're eating the previous New Year's cheese parties cheese as like a, yeah. a farewell to the previous year. I don't know enough so, about cheese making to know how that would work. But I know that there are cheeses that are aged like 15 and 20 years. So there has to be like a, a one year aged cheese that you could easily make with a group of people during a party. And then somebody would just have to like watch it or turn it every so often or whatever and then you can roll in the new year exactly yeah see perfect the the possibilities are endless (laughs) i will man i think i have a couple cheese making books around here because for a minute my wife had this idea of learning how to make cheese and then it lasted like five minutes (laughs) but now that I have the space and the equipment and all that kind of stuff, there's no reason not to get back into that, I suppose. And now the occasion. Exactly, yeah. As the uh, as the cheese rolls into the new year, you sing Old Lang Rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there... See, now, this is the next step. I wonder if there are any farms around me here in Chicago, Chicagoland area, where I could get raw... Milk, raw goat milk, raw sheep milk, something like that. Dude, I can guarantee you right now I've got a dozen people that I could just text and they would be like, I will totally come to your house to eat cheese on New Year's and make cheese and then I will be back next year. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be amazing. I like it. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little research on what kind of cheese needs to be aged for only exactly one year. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because 364 days, not ready. 366, no. dead. You know, <laughs> give me that one that's like, it's good for 
20 minutes after exactly a year. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh, man. So that's pretty much the extent of what I have uh, pulled up and have the energy for tonight, Steve. How about you? Yeah, sounds good. So I wonder if you can settle something for me. Do you think this would be a good idea? My lead cook, who went with me to the Tyromancy class, wants to come on to the show and talk about Tyromancy. Is that too close? Like, should I have someone who works for me come on the show? Or is that okay? I don't know. You mean, is it too close to crossing the streams? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's okay. I don't want to say blanket it's okay, but this individual, I think it would be okay. Yeah. I mean, hey, so long as they, so long as you have some ground rules in terms of, you know. Yeah. Also, and I think I'm going to do this one on my own, but if I can get Jennifer to come on the show, I think I want both of us to interview her, but I did get an email from a company that makes alcohol-free wine and they want to get interviewed, so I think I'll do that one on my own. Oh, nice. Just because. Yeah. But if I can get Jennifer on the show, I think we should both interview her because that would be fun, I think. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, I forgot to do this at the top of the show, but if you want to be part of the action, if you want to add your voice to uh, the, the the topics that we're talking about, or if you have something that you want us to talk about, feel free to reach out. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where you can see all of the bread and granola and crap like that that I make at home. I label everything home team if I'm making it at home and anything else is uh, usually work stuff. Uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you just search for In the Weeds with Ben Randall and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where you'll find the links to all the articles we talk about in case you wanted to do a deeper dive on the very surface level kind of stuff that I brought up today. <laughs> uh, and man, if anybody, if any of you are in Australia and you know anything about this lady who, I'm going to say 90% sure, killed her in-laws, uh, we would like some like on-the-ground reporting if anybody out there knows. Although, like if, if you know and it's really, really sad, maybe we don't want to know about it. Like if this is somebody who's related to you, right? Like if, if her kids yeah. are listening, we don't want to hear from you guys. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Or if there's any danger of like her preparing a meal for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If she's your caterer, you don't need to tell us anything. Right. Right. But I would say put out an RFP. Start looking for a new caterer. Yeah. Like in a hurry. <laughs> That's all. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> that pretty much taps me out for the night. I, I, oh man, I might actually be getting sick. I don't. I, I'm getting a little bit of a headache right now. I don't feel great about oh, this. You've got like what a little over 24 hours to get better. Yeah, pretty much. Otherwise, it's uh, all five-hour energy and day quill for me. You know, Woo. that's a fun ride. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I've got for today. For in the weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall, and I'm Stephen Cadwell. Talk at you next week. And good night.